you want to start? So Josh, how much credit card debt do you have? <laughs> oh my gosh. Reading articles about this topic definitely made me check my bank account and uh, more than I would like. I need to eliminate my own debt ceiling. Maybe I need to establish a debt ceiling for myself. That would keep me responsible. What's your debt ceiling? What do you think is a reasonable debt ceiling for a person to have? Oh man. Um, well, I'm only responsible to my cat to make sure that I can still afford that bag of food that I get her from Costco. So uh -huh. <laughs> I don't know. Fair. I was just hoping that you were going to say it like the debt ceiling for a person should be like somewhere around the $180,000 mark. Cause that's like my mortgage <laughs> 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 credit cards. Aren't the issue with me. It's like buying property. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's uh, uh, it's not fun. <laughs> so please subscribe to our podcast so Kelly can afford her house. Merch forthcoming. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Not yet, but maybe. Maybe. Um, let us know if you want a cat sweater. Is um, that a sweater made out of cat fur? Because I could definitely hook you wow, up. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I hadn't really thought. I just meant our little indubitably cat with the with the uh, tie. Oh, what if it was an the, indubitably cat sweater made out of cat fur? With a mustache? I'm having a weird day, man. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the actual debt ceiling. Now that we both know that we probably should have one and don't. <laughs> extra, extra, read all about it. Podcast tackles controversies that define your world. Listen to Indubitably now. Extra, extra, read all about it. Well, this has been something that people have probably heard about in the news recently. And if they haven't heard about it in the news recently, they're most certainly going to hear about it when December rolls around again and the topic is brought back up. Right. So the big issue right now is it does the government have enough money to actually function? And if it doesn't, and it hits this limit that it has imposed upon itself, should it raise that limit so it can continue to borrow money so that it can function? Well, the, the answer, the government definitely does not have enough money right now. <laughs> well, yeah, so that's, there's, there's that that's not the so, question. <laughs> and, that's, and that's why we're here. That's why we're here talking about this thing called uh, the debt ceiling. So what is the debt ceiling and what is the problem that it poses for us in general and also for the situation that we're currently in? One of the most fundamental responsibilities of our government is to establish a budget for the country. Firstly, what are our expenditures going to be? How much money are we going to spend on various things? Payouts for the military, for education, social security, healthcare, wages for government workers, etc. On the flip side, it also establishes what sort of revenue it will be bringing in through taxation. But since our government is full of uh, incredibly competent, responsible people, they make sure that we don't bring in as much money as we spend, which results in what's called a budget deficit. So how do we make up the difference between expenditures and revenue? If we spend $100 but only bring in $80 through taxation, we end up having to borrow the remaining $20, which means that we are now $20 in debt. And this is where the debt ceiling comes in. The debt ceiling establishes the limit beyond which we are not allowed to borrow. When we reach the point that our revenue has been used up, we've attempted to borrow the rest of the money that we need to meet our financial responsibilities, but the amount that we've borrowed runs up against this debt ceiling, we have a problem. With no way to generate or borrow more revenue, 
the government becomes unable to A, pay out all of the obligations it has that we listed earlier, and also B, pay back the interest and principles on previous debt it had undertaken in order to balance out budgets of earlier years. And that brings us to this debate, because that's the exact situation that we're currently in. Our country has once again run up against the debt ceiling, leaving us with three or so options. Option number A, we respect the debt ceiling and cease to make payments of services and wages, leaving millions of Americans stranded financially, as well as bailing on our financial obligations to previous debtors, most likely throwing the global economy into a tailspin. Option number B, we raise, or potentially eliminate, which we'll talk about later, this debt ceiling that we have artificially placed on ourselves so that we can continue to borrow more and more money, or option number C, uh, we get creative and explore a number of other alternatives, including printing a bunch of new money and making our payments with this bright, shiny, and definitely not imaginary cash. In short, if we don't have enough money to pay for stuff, our options are to either not pay for this stuff or find a way to pay for the stuff. And finding a way to pay for this stuff it requires this argument every single time because the government has artificially imposed a limit on how much it can borrow by even establishing a debt ceiling in the first place. So welcome. This is an argument that's probably happened, I think I read like a hundred times mm-hmm. since the mm-hmm. debt ceiling was even introduced. And right now we're in a little interstitial period with a temporary increase and it's about to be debated again, like a month from now. Mm-hmm. So the first question I think that is pertinent for this issue is asking, why does the government have to pay for stuff by borrowing money? Why, why doesn't the government just print more money as a means of paying off all of the debts that it has and making um, payments for the services that it needs to fund and things like that? And that's an idea that has been floated around, but there are some consequences about that. And there's been kind of an interesting debate that's got a lot of bells and whistles around it because it sounds pretty high class, but there's a possibility that a trillion dollar coin could be minted, which just sounds absolutely absurd, but apparently it's really a thing. Yeah, this was actually a proposal during the Obama administration. I think it was in 2011, and they were facing the same crisis that we're in right now, where you had a divided Democrat in the White House and Republican-controlled Congress and the Republican-controlled Congress was refusing to raise the debt ceiling. And so as a means of avoiding that, they were exploring the idea of printing a trillion-dollar coin. The idea being, if they sold this trillion-dollar coin, it would reduce the debt by a trillion dollars, and they would make the coin, sell the coin, and then presumably at some point raise the debt ceiling. And at that point, they'd be able to buy the coin back, melt it down, get rid of it uh, in an effort to avoid any sort of inflation or ill effects that introducing this trillion dollar coin into the economy would have. Um, they decided against it, but you know, with the way things have been going, it's an idea that's been brought up again recently. And I think potentially the craziest thing about this trillion dollar coin is that it wouldn't even make a 5% dent in the amount of debt that we currently have. Right. So the, the amount of the deficit right now with the extension that was passed recently to get us all the way to December is $28.9 billion. Trillion dollars. Trillion dollars. Beyond beyond like $100,000, it's all imaginary to me. (laughs) It really is. There's, there's, I've actually 
read articles that talk about like our ability to comprehend numbers past a certain point is just non-existent. So all this stuff is fake. <laughs> all these numbers are made up once it gets that big, but yeah, 20, uh, $28.9 trillion. Okay. And that is an increase during this last, last round of discussion of 500 billion dollars, right? Correct. Yeah. 480 billion. Um, and that was, we were, we were bumping up against the previous debt ceiling and in order to avoid all of the things that we're talking about in order to avoid the shutdown or defaulting president Biden signed legislation to give that $480 billion increase, which people are expecting will last us until December 3rd. And then we run out of money again. I'm just trying to visualize a stack of like almost $500 billion and that being just a smidgen of the overall amount that this entire <laughs> thing of how much debt we're allowed to have is wild. It's only half of that trillion dollar coin. Oh, <laughs> how big is the trillion dollar coin? Is it like a pizza? It's like a, I think it's like a quarter. <laughs> yeah, Seriously? So like, yeah, I think it's a normal size coin. It should be like at least as big as a pizza. What if whoever buys it drops it, you know, like into the sewer or something? Oh my God. Those are going to be some rich turtles. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> all right. So $28.9 trillion. That would be, you know, to answer your uh, question here is why not just print more money? That is a lot of money to print. Um, and, and one of the harms that one of the potential harms that comes from if we were to choose printing that much money would be the the obvious one is inflation. Right. And we saw some examples of when inflation got really out of control because a country was printing a lot of money, or at least that was what we identified as the reason. And we can point to probably the biggest case study of that issue being Zimbabwe in the 1990s. And you can look at kind of over time in 1996, their inflation rate was 16%. And then by 2008, the inflation rate was nearly 80 billion percent, which is like, again, these numbers aren't real. Um, and I actually did a little research um, because here's, here's something that you may not know about me yet is that I am like an excellent gift giver within reason, but I was actually going to look up to see if I could buy you a Zimbabwean trillion dollar note because <laughs> you can buy them, mm -hmm. but it's like $260. And oh. I, and like, even my best friend is not a $260 gift friend. So sorry, Josh, mm. but should I get, can I get credit for at least thinking about it? Getting yeah, okay. you a ridiculous present of currency. I think, I think maybe if you just waited, it would be worth it because uh, I'm reading now the Zimbabwean central bank says banknotes from its old currency, which collapsed and was discarded years ago because of runaway inflation, what we're talking about, it can be exchanged for American dollars. Okay, so how much US dollars do you think a 100 trillion Zimbabwean dollar is worth? Well, I could go online and buy it for $260. So I'm assuming that the exchange rate is probably less than that because mm -hmm. markup. So like $150 maybe? Uh, or alternatively, it is worth 40 cents. No, How, <laughs> yeah, that is some stupid markup. 40 cents. Um, so are you just hoping like you buy your trillion dollar Zimbabwean note and then you just like hope? <laughs> Imagine if you had a trillion dollar US coin and you trade it for Zimbabwean notes, you could literally like fill a mansion with dollar bills, Zimbabwean dollar bills. Again, the imagination just runs wild when you're talking about these numbers. <laughs>
but you've, you've heard some stuff, you've read some stuff, you know, some stuff about inflation, how it's not just like printing money devalues it. There's like actual psychological components to what happens with people's behavior when this type of thing happens. Yeah, this is what's fascinating. I mean, the, the basic theory behind inflation is that if you increase the supply of money, you devalue it, right? The more money that's out there, the less it's worth. Um, but like a lot of things in our economy, and, and you know, we're joking about the fact that the economy isn't real, but in a lot of ways, it's not real. Because in a lot of ways, the value of money is determined by the value that we imagine it to be, right? The stock market is the easiest example of that. You know, if we think that something is worth a lot and we buy it or people buy it, then the value of it goes up. Uh, similarly, when it comes to inflation, a lot of um, studies on inflation suggest that the whether or not it takes place is based on whether or not people believe it will take place. So what I mean by that is in a country like Zimbabwe, where people already have low confidence in the economy and in the government, when that government then has to print tons of money because it's basically failed in its responsibilities. Of course, the dollar amount and the confidence in that currency is going to drop and the value of the currency is going to drop concurrently. In the United mm -hmm. States, some people argue that because nobody believes that the U.S. will ever default and nobody believes that the U.S. economy is not going to uphold its obligations, that even if we were to increase the supply of money, even if the U.S. Um, Treasury were to print more money or a trillion dollar coin, that it actually wouldn't lead to inflation. So there's definitely people out there that think that this trillion dollar coin, as funny as it sounds, there's people out there that think that it's the way to go. I think because they're talking about putting it into circulation, quote unquote, by making it exist and then buying it back, that that kind of eliminates it from the money supply. But I think it's also important to note with the United States dollar in particular, that it is only pegged to the confidence of the dollar itself. It used to be pegged to the gold standard and mm -hmm. it had some, which also, you know, that it would, would fluctuate too, based on how people felt about it, but at least it was pegged to something tangible. And mm -hmm. now the, now the dollar is just pegged to faith and hope in the United States government and economy. And What's really funny about that is that so many other countries have pegged their currency to the United States dollar and mm -hmm. the United States dollar is pegged to nothing. So <laughs> right, right. It's all it's all some sort of like emotional play to determine whether or not the dollar is actually worth what people think it is and it's bananas. Money's bananas. And that's and that's why the, that's why this debt ceiling is actually so important is because the the US dollar like you said used to be pegged to the gold standard. And now it's pegged to the, I don't know what you want to call it, the confidence standard, right? So if you erode confidence in the US dollar, you know, or the US government, and then by default, the US dollar, um, it does have huge economic ramifications, not just in this country, but like you said, a lot of the other currencies around the world that are pegged to the US dollar. If the majority of people are afraid of inflation, though, and that's not the route that we're going to take. That leaves us, in order to make up this difference between our spending and the money that we bring in from taxation, that leaves us with borrowing, right? So what does the what does government borrowing look like? We keep we keep saying that we're going to that our government is going to borrow money. Like, what does that actually mean? Well, obviously, the government goes to the bank and fills out a loan application and provides photo <laughs> ID, and then the 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 government's mom co-signs it because the government 
you know, not necessarily that reputable. Um, no, what is, the, uh, what is, what is, um, Malone's cones? What's that <laughs> from the office? Kevin Malone goes to the bank to try and get a, a, a small business loan to start up his ice cream stand. Oh no, I don't know that reference. I mean, I've uh-huh. seen the office, but I don't remember that. I'm thinking about when Lorelai had to get um, a loan, a second mortgage, I think actually, no, 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 a third mortgage on her home in Gilmore Girls because she had to remediate termite damage, but the bank didn't trust her. So her mom had to co-sign it. We have very different cultural references. Yeah, but we there are definitely people who their ears perked up for either of those. So, <laughs> All right. So how does... Um... How does a government borrow? So the government sells off things in order to borrow money, like bonds, treasury bills, and they sell those things to governments, private parties, and so on. Right. And the the most common of those would be the bonds. And the way a bond works, to put it simply, is if if a government issues a $1,000 bond, you buy that for $1,000. Now the government has $1,000 in its pocket that it didn't have before to make up the difference between expenditures and income. And usually you would borrow that $1,000 on a fixed 2% interest rate. So what that means is now you'll be paid $20 a year, so much, uh, $20 a year on your $1,000. And then after 30 years, you'll be able to cash in that bond and receive your $1,000 back. So is that how the government's paying for things is that everybody buys a $1,000 savings bond and that? Yeah, well, <laughs> they buy a lot of them. Um, and the problem with that is, again, that that's what, you know, 30 years ago they were doing this. And so now, 30 years later, people are cashing in those bonds. And so when we say that the U.S. government uh, would be defaulting on its obligations, this is what we're talking about. So if I get a $1,000 bond and I'm told in 30 years I'm going to get it paid back and then those 30 years go by and it's time to cash that in and the government's like, we don't have the money to pay you back. They default on that obligation. That's going to drop investor confidence and that's going to get the U.S. federal government downgraded in terms of its credit rating. Well, the thing is, if they're not paying back the money that they're supposed to in these arrangements, they're not just disappointing like 10 million Joshes. They're disappointing like actual foreign governments and private investors who hold a significant amount of debt. And that's Mm -hmm. where it starts to get really fuzzy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So actually, and ironically, the breakdown of who owns these bonds, the federal government owns 40% of its own bonds. So basically, it keeps the money for Social Security, for Medicare, and for pensions. It, It holds them in bonds. So 40% of these are actually owned by the federal government, which I know seems weird, but that's, that's the case. It sounds like it should be illegal. <laughs> yeah, well. it, it does. It, I don't loan money to myself. I mean, I tell myself that like I do, mm. but ultimately that's not how it works for yeah, like, if, an actual human being. Right. If, a, if, a, if an average citizen did any of this, I'm pretty sure it would be illegal. But <laughs> um, And then 25% of it is owned by foreign investors. Uh, the big scary one that everybody talks about is China. China owns 3.9% of our government's debt. And actually that's second place. They've been passed up by Japan who owns 4.4% of our, of our country's debt. And the remainder is private citizens. So have you ever had a savings bond? <laughs> I'm lucky if I can afford to eat. 
<laughs> okay, this just got sad. No, um, but like, did anybody ever like, you know, when you were born, somebody got you a savings bond or like you had <laughs> my family, we used to crush cans because when we, when we lived in California, you used to return cans by like actually bringing them in bags to mm-hmm. the recycling center. And then we would buy savings bonds from the money we got from recycling cans. You made a thousand dollars off the cans. No, no, no. They're not just, they don't start at a thousand dollars. Like I think <laughs> I know, you can buy like a $20 bond or something like that. But um, anyway, I definitely was able to pay for all of college that way. Absolutely. I think I paid for one semester that way. Really? Okay. That, I mean, that's something, right? Of community college. <laughs> okay. That's less. I mean, not the community <laughs> college is less, but it just costs less is my point. Um, all right. Well, so here's where we're at. The, the government has said we're going to spend X amount of money every year. It brings in a lower amount than that through taxes. And now we've established that it borrows the difference and the debt ceiling puts a limit on how much of that borrowing can happen. And hopefully um, that debt ceiling does not prevent us from bringing in enough money to pay our obligations. So why do we even have a debt ceiling? Like, what is it? How does it work, essentially? Like, what is the purpose of having a limit to how much the government can borrow if we know that we have to make payments on all of these services and all these commitments on our debts? Yeah, it seems a bit it seems a bit weird, doesn't it? We Congress establishes how much they're going to spend. Congress establishes how much they're going to make through taxes they know that we're not making enough to match our spending obligations. So they know we're going to have to borrow. And then Congress is like, aha, but we're not allowed to borrow past this amount. <laughs> why would we do that to ourselves? Yeah. How, why would the government limit how much it can borrow w- with its own controls on that? So it was the debt ceiling as we know it and love it currently was created during the first world war to give the treasury department some control over the amount of debt that the United States was accruing essentially since its inception, which did not receive a lot of debate at the time. um, It hasn't really been called into too much question as to whether or not it's a good thing because most people like the idea of a limit to borrowing because most people have a mindset that debt is automatically bad. So generally speaking, when it has been brought up for debate as to whether or not it should exist, the debt ceiling seems to generally have popular support. The debt ceiling itself, the actual argument to raise the debt ceiling when this kind of controversy happens and we're reaching a spending limit, it's basically passed every single time. And it's been about a hundred times since the first world war that they've had this conversation, which is like a ridiculous amount of conversations about debt to have in basically a little over a hundred years. And a lot of people like the idea of having the debt ceiling in theory, because that forces the conversation that the government is having right now, every single time they get close to reaching the debt ceiling to actually address why are we getting so much debt? Why are we spending so much? What services are we paying for? And should we pay for less of them? So if for no other reason than actually interrogating the kind of spending that the government has, that is a purpose that a lot of people find valuable for having a debt ceiling and and having that specific function come from the debt ceiling. Mm -hmm. And I think these conversations come up, um, we bump up against the debt ceiling most often when there is some kind of crisis. So 
in those periods of extreme spending, um, this has come up every time there's been a war, for example, and our spending has spiked because there's a war, or in times where our revenue has dropped significantly um, during depressions and recessions. And that's why it was coming up during the Obama administration. And now it's obviously an issue again because of the COVID crisis and the amount of payouts that we've had to make during the pandemic. And also, again, decreased money coming in through just the mass numbers of people who've lost jobs, businesses closed, et cetera. So, and maybe that's a good point is as counterintuitive as the debt ceiling might seem, these are the times where we really need to be having conversations about how much money should we be spending vis-a-vis how much we're bringing in and are we comfortable borrowing money when our economy is uncertain. So since this argument happens all the time, essentially, and almost every single time, or if not every single time, they have raised the debt ceiling. What are some of the arguments that a lot of the people pushing for the debt ceiling increases are using to justify their stance? So the first one is like the most obvious, (laughs) which is if the debt limit is not raised, all of these services will be shut down and we'll start defaulting on payments like we've already talked about. Mm, And I... And I remember when I was working um, for the California state government that the the California budget wasn't passed, which is slightly different than this, but because the California budget wasn't passed, there was a government shutdown. And then as a worker, I actually wasn't paid for a couple of weeks, which, you know, at the time I was fine, but um, so many people, you know, are working paycheck to paycheck and they rely on getting their income in when they're supposed to be getting their income in. And so I was paid back for those two weeks. It's not like I didn't receive the money, but I definitely received it pretty late. And uh, this is a similar situation to that, where there will be a huge number of people across the country from federal employees, military, et cetera, who will not get paid if we don't do something about raising the debt ceiling. And then all the issues you identified before about not being able to make payments on the debt that the U.S. currently has and the reverberating effects on unstable currencies, people losing faith in the United States as a stable lender and economic player, and how that just really affects the entire global market when such a major player does not do its part in in, in holding up all of the structures that it currently does. And I think this is the reason why we've seen, as you mentioned before, that this has been an issue a hundred times and a hundred times the debt ceiling has been increased. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, it's reasonable to think, to hope that in this latest iteration on December 3rd, it will be increased again. Um, I mean, I think that not doing it for the very first time would certainly shock domestic or, or global economies. Mm-hmm. Do we think that just the threat of shutdown services and furloughed workers in and of itself is enough of a reason to justify raising the debt ceiling yet again? Or is this potentially, should the government just kind of live with the consequences of its spending? Like if if we reach our own personal debt limits, we get our credit card shut off, right? Mm-hmm. But the government doesn't and it keeps increasing its own credit limit. So shouldn't some people argue 
that the government shouldn't just be able to spend like this. And eventually there should be an actual firm limit to the debt ceiling. So are these threats of the shutdowns enough of a reason to keep everything afloat? I think the difference is that there are millions of people who are relying on the government as opposed to a personal credit card. You know, your family might suffer because of your irresponsibility. But in the government's case, you know, millions of people are suffering because of their responsibility. So we've mentioned this has been brought up a hundred times since the inception of the debt ceiling. But in since 1960, Congress has acted 78 separate times to permanently raise, temporarily extend, or revise the definition of the debt limit. Uh, 49 times this has happened under Republican presidents, and 29 times this has happened under Democratic presidents. So even though they're fighting about it right now, I think that it shows that in general, both sides of our political spectrum recognize this is probably something that we want to avoid. Like reaching this debt limit is going to be bad for the country writ large, regardless of who you are. Yeah, it's always a power struggle whenever this debate happens and the parties get to exert their coercive, you know, I'm not going to do it. You can't make me or whatever, but they're going to do it every single time because the fact is if they didn't, it would be a super unpredictable thing for the United States to do. And that alone would probably trigger a lot of weird economic fallout, Mm -hmm. let alone like the fact that they would be defaulting on payments, just the actual refusal to raise the debt ceiling would just be totally out of the norm for how the United States operates. Okay, so that that makes this seem pretty straightforward, right? That like, of course, December 3rd, we have the opportunity um, to raise the debt ceiling or we're going to go past it. And all of these horrible things that we've talked about are going to be happening. So are there arguments against raising the debt ceiling? Yeah, there are, which seems wild considering they don't seem to be persuasive (laughs) because Mm. Congress keeps increasing the debt limit. But the idea of actually having some sort of control over government spending and the possibility of that being a way that the debt ceiling can operate as a tool to limit government spending is a potential that's never been realized, but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be accessible. The only way that the debt ceiling currently works to actually limit government spending is if it's a real threat that it could not pass when they have these discussions about extensions. It's an empty threat if they just pass it every single time. And a lot of people argue, if you really want to stop government spending, do not pass the debt ceiling limit increases. And then the government actually has to start cutting programs that a lot of people think the government shouldn't be paying for in the first place. Yeah, you know, the vast majority of the countries around the world don't have a debt ceiling, the vast majority of countries. I think it might be a good idea in principle to have one, but like you're mentioning, if we're just going to raise it every single time we come up against it, do we really have one or do we just, are we saying that we have one, right? What's the, what's the benefit? The, if you say the benefit of is it incentivizes the government to spend less and, and be more responsible with the money that it outputs, is that the case if it knows it's just going to raise the debt ceiling when we hit it? Right. And there are some actual arguments that people have about the government should stop taking on new expenses and the debt ceiling being a firm line would prevent that increasing spending from happening. So when the government no longer takes on new expenses, like adding programs and things like that, those are things that are either kept in the private sector or they're never developed whatsoever. So they don't have any tax burdens associated with them because the government 
is not going to pay for a program that they never adopt in the first place. Also, the benefits to the consumer, because the ultimate goal is for everybody to pay for these programs via taxation. They don't take on any new expenses. They can't put any new taxes on private citizens or the occasional corporation. So that would be helpful for our spending power if less of our income was taxed, that's for sure. I think the problem with all this is that everybody assumes the debt ceiling is going to be raised, but in order to gain any of these benefits, we would have to refuse to raise it at least once so that people know it's a real threat, it's a real restriction, but the one time that we refuse to raise it, the cost of that would be ridiculous. So every everything that we've talked about in the episode so far. So it's almost a catch 22, right? In order for it to do what it's supposed to be done, we would have to go through a recession, most likely, or at least a, you know, like a potentially a global economic crisis. And then after that, the next time around, Maybe when we're deciding we're going to spend this much money on a war in the Middle East, or we're going to pay this much money in pensions, etc., maybe we would take that responsibility a little bit more seriously. But the cost to get to that point would be pretty huge. But there's also little else that could possibly really force the government to become smaller than to actually just cut off the future spending of the country. There was an attempt about 20 or so years ago to start to shrink the, shrink the government by abolishing some of the departments, specifically commerce, education, and energy. And let me guess uh, what, what party was in charge at that time? Oh, let's, (laughs) let's not be too snarky here, but, but what other potential threat could there be that actually forces the government to interrogate how big it is and how much it takes on. A lot of people are really upset with how many things are provided as government services rather than privatized. Just look at the entire debate around healthcare in the United States. A lot of people are not a fan, and especially with all of the discussion of like death panels and things like that during the Obama administration, they don't want government involvement in a lot of services that could and have been historically private. So what what other means is there than a debt ceiling well the the flip side to you know if you want to balance the budget out the flip side to shrinking the government would obviously be increasing revenue by raising taxes and the idea of taxing the richest in society is certainly something that's been gaining popularity i think especially during the pandemic when we see companies like amazon and people like jeff bezos not to mention flying into space <laughs> um just making record profits while also record numbers of people are losing their jobs and record numbers of businesses are closing down so i think there's a push on both sides to balance the budget in different ways how about how about we just don't fund the military anymore i think that would answer a lot of these concerns where would we get the technology for billionaires to go into space then they could privately fund it remember <laughs> um, they've got a lot of money not when we tax it no 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 we don't ta- we don't tax billionaires and we don't fund the military then everyone is happy so either i suppose we can shrink the government to decrease expenditures we can tax the billionaires to increase revenue or 
we can raise the debt ceiling so that we don't have to worry about this? Or what about just getting rid of the debt ceiling completely? Yeah. And what about abolishing the debt ceiling entirely? Um, As you said before, many countries, the vast majority do not have a debt ceiling. And interestingly, our own uh, Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, is in favor of doing away with the debt ceiling. I've got a quote here. Um, She said, I believe when Congress legislates expenditures and puts in place tax policy that determines taxes, those are the crucial decisions Congress is making. And if to finance these spending and tax decisions, it is necessary to issue additional debt, I believe it is very destructive to put the president and myself as treasury secretary in a situation where we might be unable to pay the bills that result from those past decisions. I think that's kind of a big deal. You know, like Janet Yellen is literally the person that's in charge of the U.S.'s money. And she's saying she's in favor of just abolishing the debt ceiling entirely. Is she the one who would make the coin if we make the trillion dollar coin? Yeah, she actually uh, she is. She would like she the... would smelt it and everything. <laughs> oh, I don't know if she's I don't know if she's in the uh, in the forge, you know, standing over the molten metal. But <laughs> I feel like I would not accept the job as Treasury Secretary if I did not get to actually touch like the molten metal in some capacity. But there, there are some pretty concrete reasons why getting rid of the debt ceiling might be the best way to move forward as a country. So first, we've had this argument a hundred times. Having this argument every few months, every few years, whenever there is a crisis is a pretty big distraction from all of the other things that Congress needs to focus on, which there's a plenty of things that Congress is not doing that mm-hmm. they could be doing. Congress also has limited political capital, meaning that there's very few things they can actually push forward because they have a credibility issue and need to focus on the things that they consider the most important. And this robs them of some of that political capital. But you know what? This is one of the reasons why both parties in the U.S. lack credibility, have that limited credibility, is because they take things like this, things like the debt ceiling that millions of Americans and people around the world rely on and or are affected by, and they just treat it like it's nothing more than a than a political game that they're playing. They they take this and they weaponize it to try and force the other side of the house to to concede whatever agenda they happen to have at that moment. And you know, maybe abolishing it completely takes that tool away from them and doesn't allow them to hold the entire country hostage for whatever it is at the time in, in during um in 2011 it was Obamacare. They tried to hold the debt ceiling hostage to get Obama to rescind Obamacare. And, um, you know, now they're, they're doing the same to Biden. And, you know, if we just get rid of the debt ceiling completely, they don't have that as an option. Yeah. I think there's a really big disconnect when it comes to Congress and actually representing the interests of the people that they're supposed to, because they're being very cavalier about something that really does affect a lot of people's lives when they use this as kind of a political tool. There are people who literally will have issues affording to live if they have their social security payments cut off. And there are people who cannot go a couple of weeks without a paycheck to just serve some greater political goal. And I don't think that Congress recognizes that. All right. So it, I mean, uh, it seems pretty straightforward that we should, if not completely get rid of the debt ceiling, that we should certainly, in this latest iteration of the debate, raise it when December 3rd comes around. What do you think, Kelly? 
Yeah, don't don't accuse me of being sympathetic with a lot of the people who are in favor of small government. But I do like that there are some mechanisms where we have the opportunity to at least evaluate why we spend so much money. But I know that the way that those conversations usually go is they're talking about things like social services being cut rather than I think the things that legitimately could have their budgets cut considerably, such as the military, which the amount of money that the military gets and how much of it goes towards ridiculous technologies we never even use, things like that. Those are clear areas where we could cut how much we spend. So since that's not the type of thing that we're talking about when we talk about the debt ceiling, we probably don't need to have the debates that happen whenever the debate happens about the debt ceiling. So we should probably just continue to increase it every time it comes up and cut that argument out altogether or do away with the debt ceiling entirely and just spend with abandon um, kind of like we do normally. Well, you don't think that like these conversations would happen without the debt ceiling. Um, Of course, you brought up a couple of big options for cutting spending, and you don't think that Democrats would naturally be putting pressure on Republicans to cut things like the military. And in response, Republicans, when they're in control, put pressure on Democrats to cut things like Obamacare or social services. You you don't think that that would happen even with the debt ceiling gone? I don't know. I feel like there's probably not that much pressure to cut military spending, even from Democrats, because then they would alienate so many veterans that are in their um, districts and things like that. There's probably some gentle suggestions to cut military spending, but the kind of spending I'm talking about would definitely make me ineligible for office. Like I I want to gut the military. But then does the existence of the debt ceiling actually do anything for that? It it could in theory, it could in theory, but I know that it won't. So there's no functional use for it. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of where I'm at, is that the idea of the debt ceiling in principle has actually established the United States as one of, if not the most credible investment in the world. If you want to put money somewhere and know for a fact that you're getting that money back, the bonds that we talked about earlier um, is probably the safest place that you can do so, in theory. Um, you know, in comparison to other countries that don't have a debt ceiling and, you know, they do spend, like you said, with abandon, maybe they're not as stable, but if all the debt ceiling is going to do in practice is, you know, be this political football that's just batted back and forth between the Republicans and Democrats and actually reduce the credibility of the United States as an investment and, Every time we get close to defaulting on it, we see the kind of ripple effect that that can have through the economy. Um, like the United States last time we mentioned during the Obama administration, 2011, the United States being downgraded from AAA uh, credit rating to a double A plus credit rating, which is not as good as AAA. I guess my point is that the the problem here is not with the debt ceiling. The problem is with a bipartisan Congress and the way that they use it. So principally, I think that the debt ceiling is probably a good idea. You know, it's probably a good idea to say you are not allowed to borrow past a certain point and you need to be responsible and thinking about what you're going to spend and what you're not going to spend. But in reality, it's just infuriating every time this debate comes up to hear the like nitpicky things that one side is willing to bargain for 
with the financial well-being of the citizens in the country. They're basically saying, you know, for this for this hot button issue at the time that most people don't care about, we're willing to make families miss paychecks. We're willing to make them make choices about what to eat. Are they going to pay their rent? We're willing to cut social security, um, allow, you know, force senior citizens to make choices, um, you know, by cutting pensions that they're relying on, cutting medical expenses. I mean, it's, ugh, it's super annoying. Um, and I almost would be happy if we got rid of it just for that. So they can't use it as that, that, that tool anymore. So some op-eds are actively suggesting that Republicans change everything and actually resist the increase of the debt ceiling limit on December 3rd. What do you think is actually going to happen? Uh, well, because Biden is Biden, the way you is, said his <laughs> name, <laughs> um, I mean, just be, be uh, the dude is weak and the dude is willing to concede on most everything. So I'm sure he'll make some sort of concession to keep the Republicans happy. But then I also think the Republicans will not be the ones to be the first to miss these payments to default on this on the U.S. obligations. That being said, I, I don't think that the general public, you know, part of the reason we do this podcast I don't think the general public is is entirely educated on what the debt ceiling is, and they're certainly not up to date on the nuances of uh, the political rigmarole that happens in D.C. So I I could see a world in which the in which the Republicans bank on the public taking out a failure to raise the debt ceiling on Biden, even if it was the Republicans' fault, and I could see them kind of flipping a coin on that and and saying, hey, even if we're the ones in actuality that stall out and make us default for the first time in history, um, we think that we can spin that and get enough Americans to believe that it was Biden's fault, that he's the one that's going to take the hit for it. And we're going to get some uh, traction in the upcoming or in the next round of elections. Things have been so wild with how the government's operated, especially in the past few years, that I think that that is probably not super likely, but the even remote possibility of it, considering the characters involved mm-hmm. is making me consider panic buying right now. Honestly, <laughs> if you don't, if, if, if you hear some stink in the way that I say Biden, you should hear me say McConnell. Oh, <laughs> so mm, I don't know. Anyway. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. December, December 3rd. We'll see if the debt ceiling is raised. We'll see if it's not raised. We'll see if someday in the future it's maybe abolished. Um, but at least now, hopefully everybody listening knows a little bit more about it, is able to understand what's going on, how it affects themselves, and you know what the potential outcomes here could be. And I just want to mention that because of the specifics of this actual topic, we wanted to make sure we were getting you as accurate and as timely of information as possible in discussing this. So we did do some research. Um, Some of the information we have comes from treasurydirect.gov, economicshelp.org, Investopedia, Forbes, the New York Times, the Brookings Institution, Moody's, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Huffington Post. But a very good deal of this comes from our very large brains. (laughs) I'm glad that you did all that research to make us sound smart, Kelly. 
You did some research too. <laughs> I you did. You found out just... about the giant trillion dollar coin for us. That is no, the quarter sized trillion dollar coin. I refuse to accept that it's only the size <laughs> of a quarter. You will never make me believe that. All right. The pizza sized trillion dollar coin. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everybody. And until next time, take care. And thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye.